stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hi, and welcome back to Raising Joy. I'm Kristen Perch. Hi, and I'm Winnie King, and we're back in the saddle. We're back. Yeah, we're we're riding this horse. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, Winnie, we have been given a mission. Yes. Well, I guess more data, um, and unfortunately, it's not great. Okay. It's okay. not going to raise the joy right now. Okay. I'm going right. to be real. We'll raise it at, later in the, in the podcast. We're going to okay. work on it. We're yeah. going to try. But the so the CDC um, every two years they survey high school students, Uh-oh. private, public, mm. all kinds of kiddos, and they okay. release results every two years. And they survey about a number of things, right? Like how how's your mental health? Um, are you abusing substances? Are you drinking alcohol? Are you like all these sorts of questions? Yeah. Um, so that we can kind of take the temperature of what what kids are struggling with, um, and how can we help them and things like that. So they released their study or their report this week from data from 2021. Ooh, when we were in the pandemic. Exactly. Like, we had just come out of the pandemic. Mm. All of, and we know from Cook, all of our mm-hmm. data was really, 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 really terrible, to be honest with you, um, about that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the CDC found that it was not a Cook problem. It was, it was... a national problem. Mm. Um, they said that uh, 42% of high school students felt so sad or hopeless every day for two weeks that they stopped their usual activities. What? Yes. And so um, as a child psychiatrist, that checks a lot of boxes, a lot of boxes for depression. Right. Right, Like and and it's the sadness that limits your activities and and things like that. And And I don't want to do the things that I really enjoy doing. And it doesn't make it doesn't bring me joy. anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Uh Um, And then also the But the effect on girls, minority students and uh, Mm -hmm. teens in the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community. It was even worse. Infinitely worse. Mm -hmm. It was so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, like it was just, yeah, it, the report is terrible. So, um, anyway, so I just really feel like we got to do something and I'm glad we're on this podcast so that we can help. Um, right. Right. And, and, you know, today's uh, podcast is going to probably chime into all of that. Um, because you know, where there's depression, there very well could be the attempt, the, the attempts of suicide. Right. Um, and so today's guest has vast experience in the areas of trauma, mental health, and um, on youth suicide. Our public relations team met her while she was compiling some research for author Andrew Solomon. And you may remember if you were able to attend um, that he was at our first live show in September. And in addition to being a researcher, Susie DeYoung DeYoung is an author and a former director of the community engagement for um, the AVL Foundation in Newtown, um, Connecticut. Welcome to Raising Joy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Winnie and Kristen. All right, Susie. So let's start with the project that you're currently working on for Andrew Solomon. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've been working for Andrew Solomon since uh, early 2020. Um, My first projects were related to family. Um, uh, He was working on a book about the family. So I was working on things including divorce and foster care in, in the 21st century. Uh, but more recently, his his recent project has to do with youth suicide. Um, he wrote a, a very compelling article for The New Yorker last spring called The Mystifying Rise of Child Suicide. And uh, it's expanding on that. Um, 
for a future book, I believe. And um, I've spent the last few months researching that topic. Um, specifically, I, I've been looking at um, an interesting area of that topic. Um, one of those is is love as it relates to youth suicide, which is, is an interesting um, question because um, while we know that love can't prevent it, I was looking into are there ever times or cases where it actually can or can help um, then. And I was also looking at issues such as uh, breadcrumbs, like what breadcrumbs are, you know, people in hindsight often can recognize issues that that but they might not have recognized at the time um, and, and what, you know, people can see in hindsight and that how that can help other families now going forward, you know, what to look out for. Mm. The so topic, that's just a couple of the things I was looking at. The topic of love. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so are we loving you enough? Are we loving you too much? Are we not loving? What 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 aspect of that is uh, indicative of what happens with suicide? Well, that's a good question. Um, there's still a perception, I think, and a mistaken perception among many that um, if someone is, if a child is loved enough that they won't take their life or this won't happen. I know oh. I used to even think that before oh. I, I was in this field. Um, if I had heard of a, of a child suicide, I would wonder, oh, well, what was going on in that family? Or mm. if nothing was going on in the family, I might think, well, it must have happened during the attachment phase. And what I've learned from doing this research is I was very wrong. Mm. Um, and I've learned that from many of the doctors and many of the families I spoke to, mm -hmm. that love can be a protective factor, mm -hmm. obviously, in the same way it can be a factor, a protective factor with any disease, be it cancer or broken mm -hmm. leg. I mm -hmm. mean, mm -hmm. having more love in your life is mm -hmm. going to soothe the suffering a bit, but can it cure it or prevent it? No. And, and you know, when you think about it, that's, that's probably, that's true. If you, if you look back and you think about like, you know, and this was some time ago, um, Twitch, when he right. committed suicide. And you're thinking, brother, I mean, come on. Everybody, right. lo everybody loves you. I know. Your wife loves you. you. Ellen loved you like a family member. So that love, you know, the fact that, that, that even that it was there still didn't prevent I know. That, um, that from happening. You know. Exactly. Wow. I think one key point came from one of the doctors I spoke to who said to me, you would not be asking me this question if we were discussing cancer. Ooh. And I think she made a really good point. We need to evolve in how we perceive suicide, that it's actually a brain illness. A brain is an organ like any other organ. And like I said, love can be protective. Obviously, if you're from an abusive family, it's going to be worse than if you're from a loving family. But at the end of the day, you still have, be it cancer, diabetes, depression. Absolutely. Are there, um, you mentioned kind of those breadcrumbs, like the things that uh, families looking back in hindsight that maybe they had put together. Um, were there any things that you thought were particularly enlightening about that? That's uh, difficult because some of the things that are symptoms of, of depression are also everyday teen behaviors. Yes. You know, I remember one dad of a 12 year old said she was spending a little more time in her room than usual. You and know, and what was, what's, that, what's really the problem with that? that? Is an yeah. Or they're sleeping well, more. I know. know. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sleeping more, maybe, you know, anger. Um, 
the the breadcrumbs they're tough and mm -hmm. and there's there's not yet most studies do not show any real you know something a loud flashing sign you know right. unless you've got clinical depression and, and you're talking about ending your life um obviously that's a you know that needs to be taken seriously absolutely but a lot of kids don't don't tell you know and a lot of times mm -hmm. it's impulsive mm -hmm. so um yes. you know they they did it before mm -hmm. they even really thought it through unfortunately because, because yeah. the frontal lobe yes the frontal lobe <laughs> <laughs> that's we right we talk a lot about that frontal lobe not being fully developed but Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the um, doctors with whom I spoke said they would substitute the word connection or support for love. Um, mm -hmm. Love's too nebulous a term, you know, to some parents, it's it's corporal punishment and to others, it's extreme permissiveness. Um, there was one study a, a doctor brought to my attention from 2015 that analyzed over 2,000 young people. And the results from that study showed that the treatments that work best emphasize family support yes. uh, in the context of psychological therapeutic interventions. Yes. Um, and, and one therapist I spoke to, I even, I wrote this down to share with you because I thought it was pertinent um, in regard to love. She wrote, she said, to be a parent who self-reports that they are loving relies on the parent's self-perception mm. and level of self-awareness and not necessarily on what the child truly needs. Mm. Right. And I think that's a really good point. And then that's why substituting the word support, you know, can, can make a big difference. Uh, a child may, you know, you can have the most loving parent in the world who doesn't know how to find the right support. Um, and, and that's a key thing. Right. Are they, they, they don't, you know, there's the old book about the love languages and things like that. Mm -hmm. So maybe they don't communicate mm -hmm. their love in a way that their kid understands. Right. Um, and it's, you know, not about a lack of love, but maybe a, just a breakdown right. of communication. And we don't have a, a handbook. No one ever gave you the handbook. <laughs> when you delivered the child and you left in the bassinet, there was no handbook. It's so, so true. Not having the ability. I love you, but my parenting may be a, a problem. It could be an issue. You know, or loving you too much could be, you know, stifling and suffocating. I don't know. I'm right. I'm talking. I'm free balling here, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it it is that that's that's really strange. And I just, you know, I hear what you're saying about love. It it's not necessarily the factor. It is that brain. Yes, it is that brain. I everything I e ever hear, and I'm not a researcher. I'm not a scientist. But everything I hear about it, it just says the brain absolutely yeah absolutely wow we know Susie... One thing a lot of Go people ahead. both parents and uh experts um made clear was or stressed was the need to talk to young people mm. before there's an issue um in the same way we talk to them about cigarette smoking or seat belts or drugs that it's okay to talk about suicide that if, you know so many people are afraid the mention of the word is going to put the idea in somebody's head. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. I think that's um, what Andrew said to us when he was here. It's not thinking about it. They'll look at you like you're crazy and be yeah. like, oh, mm -hmm. of yeah. course not. Yeah. Yeah. But if somebody is, you may just, you know, open the door. Yeah. You can open the door for a conversation. I think, exactly. I think a lot of times parents shy away from that though, because what if their kid says yes? Ooh. They don't know what to do, Ooh. you know? And I, I think, for a parent that's listening, if you do decide to have that conversation, stay calm. 
mm-hmm. you know, like do, do your best to to control your own emotions. And if you if my child told me that they were thinking of ending their life, I would be incredibly upset. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put that in a box, but I think in the moment, stay calm, listen. If you don't know what to say, just ask a question. Mm-hmm. You know, ask more questions. Just keep asking questions mm-hmm. until you kind yeah. of and listen and be open and don't don't try to fix it. Don't try to say, oh, you shouldn't, or minimize, like, oh, yeah. you shouldn't feel that way because, look, you're on the soccer team and you have all A's mm-hmm, and you have a family mm-hmm, that loves you. Mm-hmm. You don't need to feel that way. Mm-hmm. It, that's you, just open. Just be open, listen, and hear what they have to say. And be prepared, I would imagine. If you're going to ask the question, be prepared for the answer. That's very true. The right. answer <laughs> that may or may not be what you think it is. And so be prepared in that moment, I would think. Yeah. You had asked about, you know, breadcrumbs and, and while, um, you know, many are, are things that are only visible in hindsight. There were some things that that people shared with me that, you know, they're not necessarily breadcrumbs for suicide, but they should be taken seriously. And 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 some of those are, you mentioned sleeping, but sleeping too much, like mm-hmm. excessive sleeping, mm-hmm. falling asleep in school, wanting to not get out of bed. Um, another one was um, perceived burdensomeness, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. There was a, a lot of studies on that where children will feel that they are just a burden on everything and everyone. Mm. Um, and if a child is expressing that they feel that way, that should be taken seriously. Mm. Uh, perfectionism was another one um, being, you know, destroyed if you get a bad grade or, or you know, that, that you don't, that perfectionism. Um, a lot of families were taken off guard because their child, I don't know if it's a lot of families, but some of the families that I spoke to, um, child appeared, everything was great. Grades were very good and and friendships were solid. But when they found the journals after, there was a lot of writing about, um, you know, not getting into the perfect college, um, getting a bad grade and, and being, you know, just devastated by it. Um, those are things to watch out for. Absolutely. Just. Just to shift a little bit, are, were you involved um, with the Sandy Hook Promise? Yes. Um, I live in Newtown, Connecticut, when I moved here in 2003. And in 2012, we had the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings. Yep. Um, and the Sandy Hook Promise started very organically. It was actually a group of friends, a group of us um, who had been friends for a few years, largely because of our children being the same age. We went for a walk at a place called Holcomb Hill just to talk and process what had just happened. And then we went over to a friend's uh, house where we gathered in her kitchen. Um, The term Natalie's Kitchen actually became famous around here for a while because Mm -hmm. that's where it started, Mm. a group of us meeting in Natalie's Kitchen. Um, there was one gentleman in particular, his name is Lee Shull, and he wanted to continue the conversation the next day at the library, and he gathered more people to come to the library to talk, and basically conveying the message that we have to do something. We didn't know what, but it was just, we have to do something. Then the few days later, the library group got bigger and bigger. The next thing we knew, the media was covering it. Mm. And then some parents who lost children became involved. Mm. Um, and before you knew it, it, it became a nonprofit, the Sandy Hook Promise. I worked as the community outreach director. What, what, what's the function of 
the, the nonprofit? Well, in the beginning, it took a while to really get its focus. Um, and, and I left there in, gosh, I can't remember now, 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was to educate people about gun violence mm -hmm. and to um, unite the community. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we tried a lot to learn from other communities that had suffered gun violence. We had events where we brought in people from other uh, uh, communities, such as Columbine and Nickel Mines, which is the Amish community. Um, right now, Sandy Hook Promise is a nonprofit that works all over the country to help young people and educators recognize the signs of um, possibly mental illness or possibly somebody who could be violent. Yeah. Um, so basically it's to prevent gun violence, um, but it's through recognizing signs of somebody that may be struggling and may be prone to that. Mm. Oh. Yeah. I, you know, and I think it's interesting that both of your roles are working at <laughs> identifying signs that someone's having a really hard time and working to get them the help that they need. You know, I think yeah. that's incredible. Um, and I know that you're also the director of the Aviel Foundation. So what what is that and um, how did that come about? I was the, uh, I'm a community outreach director. Um, I had met um, a family that lost their only child at the time, Aviel Richmond, in the shooting. She was six years old. And her parents, Dr. Jeremy Richmond and Jennifer Richmond, started a foundation um, in her name called the Aviel Foundation. Um, and we became friends. Um, Dr. Jeremy Richmond was a neuroscientist. Um, and they wanted to honor Aviel through a foundation that looked into the neuroscience of violence. Mm -hmm. the, the mission of the Aviel Foundation is to prevent violence and build compassion through neuroscience research, community engagement, and education. Uh, the neuroscience research part, again, was to help you know um, recognize uh, signs of somebody like an Adam Lanza you know, before they get to that point. Mm -hmm. I was less involved in that end. I ran the community piece. We had a uh, mental health speaker series here in Newtown called The Brainstorm Experience that I directed and co-hosted along with Dr. Richmond. And um, that was a very wonderful um, experience. Uh, we brought in, the series was focused on mental health. Um, it was open to the community and one of the big takeaways was that was seeing how the community was impacted because so many people here were tired of, you know, experts coming in to talk about trauma and gun violence and gun safety and recovering and healing. Um, and, and those events really weren't getting much traction, but this was different. Um, this was like a backdoor way, an indirect way of, mm -hmm. of trying to help people by just a speaker series. And we had everyone mm -hmm. from Brene Brown to Jane Pauley. Uh, Jane Pauley was here talking about her bipolar. Dan Harris was here talking about um, meditation. Bessel van der Kolk about trauma. Um, so it was very diverse, but at the same time, it was focused on mental health. So mm -hmm. people could ask questions, people could gather in the hallway afterwards. Um, it was wonderful. Oh. Um, unfortunately, there's a sad ending to that. Um, Dr. Richmond died by suicide uh, in 2019. Oh my God. Um, and the series folded. Mm. I, I, you know, I need to ask you, Susie, in the 
the work that you're doing, you know, researching the parents of suicide, dealing with the situation with Sandy Hook, and now, you know, this, how are you? What, what was their question? I didn't miss the question. How are you, as you go through uh, these topics, as you are researching, as you are looking at these, these sub, this subject, Mm-hmm. And and then having, you know, had this wonderful encounter with the Aviel Foundation and then it kind of ended the way it did. How how are you handling all of that? Well, I don't know if I should continue because I haven't touched on on my <laughs> what I've experienced in my personal life too. So it's it's um I've had a, a good exposure to trauma. Um I don't know if you saw in your notes. Um yeah. Uh, that uh, you know, my son had experienced an extremely traumatic accident when he was um, seven years old in 2004, mm. which is kind of what spurred my interest in trauma. Um, and he struggled with mental health issues. Um, and the signs of the trauma from when he was uh, young started appearing in Oh, when he was about 15, that's, I might be jumping topics here. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I should give you this as a background too, because it has to do with how I am. Um, And we worked very hard and he worked very hard to uh, figure out what was going on with him for many years. What, you know, many different, as a psychiatrist, I'm sure you, you know, it's hard to get a a proper diagnosis sometimes Mm -hmm. we had everything Mm -hmm. from PTSD to clinical depression to bipolar. And uh, I learned a lot, you know, this is all while I was working at ABL and and this was all going on. Um, But unfortunately uh, we lost him in Mm -hmm. 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We are not sure if it was suicide or um, if it was not because uh, the coroner, ruled it accidental, uh, the combined effects of the prescription medication he had been prescribed. Um, but we're not 100% sure. Okay. So Easy. in answer to how I'm doing, um, uh, grief is a big piece of how I'm doing right now. Mm, um, yeah. That really, you know, rattled my world mm. uh, in, in a big way. Um, working for Andrew, though, has actually been helpful. Um, mm. I've learned, I've gotten to meet people who are going through exactly what I'm going through. Mm. And that has been very helpful. Um, I've got an amazing support system here between my family and the friends I have and people, you know, who understand. So I guess for the most part, you know, I'm doing okay. I know what to do. You know, I've got a good therapist. Mm -hmm. And um, I know when to step back. And, you know, set boundaries. Boundaries is a good word. I love boundaries. And take a break. Yes. And Susie, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Like that is, that's heartbreaking. It is. On so many levels. I mean, so much heartbreak, you know. Thank you. Yes. There's definitely been a lot of heartbreak. Yeah. I wanted to compliment, though, your recent podcast I heard um, from you guys, the, uh, the one on improving the medical response to kids with a mental health crisis. Um, okay. The, what was it called? BERT? The BERT the team. Behavioral, yes. 
because when my son was in the hospital in 20, no, not, it was 2004, mm -hmm. um, he had re received a, a bad burn. Uh, we were trick-or-treating in his Halloween costume, uh, got too close to a candle on a neighbor's porch and it, it went up in flames and oh he uh, was hospitalized for a month. He was on life support for three days. Um, and you made such good points in that podcast about how to handle children who, mm -hmm. you know, even though that you were talking about mental health crisis, it was very similar with mm -hmm. the crisis he was having um, because he was so scared and angry. And I remember um, the nurses would sometimes come in and they would say, uh, you know, he'd have to go downstairs for what they call debridements, mm -hmm. which are very painful. painful. Yeah. And it was horrible for him. And the nurses would come in and say, okay, you know, you want to go for your debridement? No, but I you don't. didn't have a choice. And yeah. I remember taking them aside and, and saying, can you not ask him if he wants to go, mm -hmm. if there's no choice? Mm -hmm. And your podcast just brought that back for me. I remembered because mm -hmm. those are the little things that aren't so little, you right. know, how the language that professionals use when they're speaking to kids who are crisis. Right. Thank you. And just help them, you know, stay calm and supported and, and all those sorts of things. Well, please know mm -hmm. that um, Kristen and I are sending you a virtual hug right yeah, now. Yeah, so feel much. I, I hope you feel it because, you know, we got to hang together here. We got to stick together. This is this is tough going through and a lot of people are going through a lot of stuff. And, you know, yeah. we just want to make sure that we uplift you and that you know that we want to encourage you in any way we can. Yeah. So thank, thank you for being with us. Yeah. Susie, I know you wrote a book. Um, what was, what's your book about? The book I was started working on way before any of these other things I've brought up. <laughs> it, it, um, it's called the gift of hindsight reflections on successes, failures, and lessons learned from seasoned parents and parenting experts. Um, I started working on that before um, the Sandy Hook shooting happened. Mm. I interviewed parents and parenting experts on what they would do differently if they knew now, if they knew as new parents, what yeah. they knew now. Yeah. So it's just really a, a book of quotes. Um, Andrew Solomon's actually in the book mm -hmm. and, you know, a few other known names in the parenting world. And then it's uh, sectioned into divorced parents, parents of twins, uh, adoptive parents. There's different sections of it. And um, yeah, and then uh, everything changed after Sandy Hook. I, I kind of, I, the book was done and I, I published it myself. But then after, after Sandy Hook, I became so involved in other things that I really didn't spend a lot of time marketing it. Yeah, sure. But I mean, but, you know, Winnie was joking about the parenting manual we don't have. Yeah. But how about the collective experience of parents who've been in the trenches as well as parenting experts? I think, exactly. you know, maybe this is the manual. <laughs> <laughs> we need a reprint. <laughs> it's true. We need it. It is true. Oh, my gosh. Suji, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been enlightening. And, and like I said, we really are giving you a virtual hug. Mm -hmm. And we really appreciate that um, you're able to talk to us and give insight into some of the things that you've learned and the things that you've heard from others and you're able to put all of that out so thank Absolutely. you for that. it's my pleasure to be here and, and i appreciate the work you're doing it's very helpful yeah well Susie, we always end the podcast by asking what people are grateful for so is there anything that you would like to say you're grateful for today 
the one thing that comes to mind is right before this podcast, I went to a, a yoga class and uh, it was uh, exactly what I needed today. Um, so that's what I'm feeling grateful for today. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. You want to go? You go for it. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for courage. Um, sometimes it takes a lot to put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, not knowing if you're going to be able to do it or not do it. But, you know, for whatever reason, I've been given a, 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 a good dose of you can do it, you know, and um, it, it looks dark sometimes. It doesn't look like, you know, you're going to walk into a light. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think it comes from my mother. I saw her with a lot of courage and she just always seemed to to walk through it. And so I I kind of think I got that from her. So I'm I'm really happy and I'm grateful for the ability to to no matter how tough it gets, we we just keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. Um I would say I'm grateful for I mean honestly just hearing these mm-hmm. hearing all of these stories and mm-hmm. all of the experience, I think um, just people being willing to share their story, yeah. um, you know, with, with you, Susie, and then you being willing to tell us, yeah. um, so that we can learn because I, I think for so long we shied away from these conversations because yeah. they're so hard and they're so heavy. Um, but when we do that, we don't learn and we don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I know that that's the point of the podcast is mm-hmm. to bring it to the light. And so I'm like, when he said, I'm grateful for courage and I'm w- grateful that people are willing to talk about these things now because for so long they haven't been willing. Absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you guys. Sharing stories is a very, it's a, that's very important because um, it, being able to be vulnerable like that and share your story goes a long way. Right. And it builds community and we need that. We need that. We need that community. Well, we want to know what you think about our podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I know. We <laughs> <laughs> We've posted a link to a survey in the show notes. So let us know your feedback along with any topics you want us to address. Let us know. Be kind. Don't don't be mean. <laughs> it's one of our values at Cook Children's Kindness. So be kind. But anyway, until next time, just breathe. Open up. You matter. matter.